comes up through Junior Church, that's wonderful. And I did hear last week from some of the families that had Junior, were here visiting in Junior Church, and they said how much that meant to them, right, that we were able to offer Junior Church during the summer months. And so I want to commend those that have made that possible. Uh, I believe my mom, right, Edward? Yep, he's got thumbs up. Oh, there we are. Thumbs up. And you know something's bothering me, and I need to do this. Certain little details, you know, just that makes me, the cross of Christ is lit. Right? Amen. Now, I thought we were done with discipleship, but the Holy Spirit had a different plan. And uh, I thought we were going to Jeremiah this week, and uh, that all switched very quickly uh, at the beginning of the week. And it's like, okay, Lord, we're not done yet with discipleship. And I'm like, I would love to say that I was so in tune with the spirit that I had planned this all out the last seven weeks. I planned out maybe two or three of those beginning ones and the spirit has been leading us on what we need to do next as we continue to discuss about discipleship. So God knows we're not finished with it yet. And so here we are again today looking at discipleship uh, number six. And uh, I was thinking about demonstrations. You know, I don't know if some of you remember, some of you are too young to remember this. Remember Electrolux? Who remembers Electrolux? Yeah. We noticed down in Shelton the other day when we were driving by, somebody had one out by the road for free. They were giving it away for free. And it still works. And as some of you that are too young, I still remember the day that my mother invited the Electrolux vacuum salesman into the house. And he would do a demonstration of this vacuum cleaner by that time, could do almost anything you could think of. And the thing that he would do, he would demonstrate it, is he would pour dirt, remember that? They would pour dirt all over your carpet. <clears throat> and then they would demonstrate how this vacuum cleaner could suck it all up. And of course, my mother fell for the sales pitch and spent, I forget, back in those days, it was like four or $500 for that vacuum cleaner. And uh, we had it for many, many decades after. And then I thought for a more modern connotation, some of you had the opportunity to go to Costco and Moncton. Anyone? Halifax area? Just a few of you have gone to Costco? A few. And, and one of the nice things in Costco, the people, why people go to Costco, if you were close to it, some people at lunchtime will go to Costco and get a free lunch because we'll just go around every place and get a snack that they're providing. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but the other thing that Costco will do <clears throat> is these demonstrations. And I've seen, you know, some of these mixers, and I, this one up top there is a, a knife demonstration, how to use a particular knife and how sharp it is. And, and we realize how important demonstrations are, and demonstrations are done so you can see how it works, right? It's to show you how it works. And as we come into this chapter of John 13, we're told that Jesus now demonstrates his love to his disciples. Chapter 13, you know, Jesus is now meeting with the smaller group, the 12 disciples, for this last meal together uh, to celebrate the Passover together. And he performs this work of a lowly servant. This job was for the lowest of the low, only the servants would do this. And he washes his disciples' feet. And he explains.
explains to them this is an object lesson. This is a demonstration for them that if he as their Lord was willing to serve them in such humility, they are now obligated to also do the same. Jesus also predicts his impending trial and betrayal. And he tells Judas to go and do what he needs to do in this chapter. His disciples don't understand what's going on. And then, of course, brave Peter, once again, brags about his loyalty to Jesus. And Jesus responds with a cutting prediction. Peter will deny his relationship with the Lord three times before that evening is over. I love verse 1. It kind of sets the tone of what we're looking at today. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And then we realize, as we already read in that verses 12 to 15, that Jesus demonstrated his love for them. One of the greatest object lessons that's ever been done. It is one of the most pivotal aspects in John's gospel here, to see this demonstrated out. And then Jesus says, how will people know that you are my disciples? How will people know that you are my disciples? He said, people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have, one for the other. See, we've gone back and we've said about disciples, haven't we? We said that a disciple is a follower, is a person who follows their teacher and does what he did. Webster's definition of a disciple is a pupil or a follower of any teacher or school. And a true disciple follows their master and follows his example and begins to apply what they've been taught. You know, we all heard this many years ago, didn't we? WWJD, that was that whole movement, actually comes from the early 1900s. Uh, you know, In His Steps is the, is the book that brought this, and then years later the movement came out of WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's the question of a disciple. What would Jesus do in this situation? And so we see today that we are told that people will know that we are his disciples by rules and regulations, by holy living, by going around and telling people about where their eternal destiny is going to be. Important. All of these things are important. Living a holy life. All of these things are so important. All the programs of our church, you know, we just say that, we sent an invite out to invite people back and tell them what's going on this fall. But ultimately, that is not how people are going to know that we are his disciples. Jesus says here, very pointedly, people are going to know that we are his disciples by one word. Love. And it starts right in his house. By the love that we have, one for the other. He says our key verses today in this passage were those end verses that Betty read. John 13, 34, and 35. Read it with me. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. 
time was short. Jesus knew that he only had a few hours with these disciples. And he's trying now for them to understand the importance of this. And he's wondering after three years, are they getting it? Have they followed his example? And so he now takes the time to demonstrate to them his wonderful love for them. And he knows in order for his kingdom to advance, in order for them to understand and truly get it, they now need to follow his example and love one another. See, they would need to move from their selfish agendas. Remember that whole dialogue of the mother? Uh, Bid that my sons can sit on your right and your left when they enter the kingdom? <laughs> and then we think about the pride and the pettiness amongst the disciples when we read in the Gospels that they were talking amongst each other who was the greatest. They would need to love like he loved if the kingdom was ever going to move forward. They would need this self emptying, sacrificial love. I like what somebody said quite a few years back, that we are called as the church not to the love of power, but the power of love. Did you get that? Not to the love of power, but to the power of love. And I know Jesus was concerned for his disciples that day, that last hour. And the truth is the same for us today in the church, that God is concerned for his church, especially in these days. That we understand that our calling is the same. Nothing has changed. The world needs to see it now more than ever, that the community of faith is a place that we show the world that we are his disciples by the love we have. To one another. See, to love one another means that we follow Jesus' example here as we see this. If you have your Bibles open, go back to verses 3, 4, and 5. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is the Creator, Almighty God. Think about it. The one who knit you together in your mother's womb. The God of glory. Majestic. Mighty. Awesome. Holy. Notice that none of them have bothered to even wash their own feet. And so Jesus sets this example and does this amazing demonstration of love. That he disrobes himself of his outer robe. Remember now, he is the head of this gathering. He is the special guest. He would be the one that, as we often see in pictures set at the center and others around him. And so he gets up as they're trying to figure out who is the lowest of the low that should be doing this. Jesus gets up and disrobes himself and puts on that towel of a servant and picks up that basin of water. And I can just hear the hush in the room. 
And can you imagine, like we read this really quick, but can you imagine how long this took to wash 12 disciples' feet? This is not a quick moment, my friends. This is a very intimate moment with Jesus. And as he has this intimate moment with his disciples, I can see him lovingly touching their dirty feet and washing them and making them clean. This was something that was done every time you entered, entered into somebody's home. This was a common practice because the fact that they wore sandals and the robes were so dusty and dirty and they would sit kind of reclined to eat. Someone's feet would be right there close to your face. Get the picture? And so it was a common practice that the lowest of the low in the household would wash people's feet as they entered the door. And so Jesus is there. I can just picture it as he's washing each disciple's feet. And he loves them. And I can hear him saying words of encouragement and comfort. Remember, he knows that night that he will be arrested. Here's his opportunity to love on them. And I can see this as he goes around the room. He loves them. He demonstrates his love. Some of us have been raised in homes where we didn't hear love much. Some of us, you know, there's been times where I've met people who have said, you know, Pastor, I never heard my parents ever say to me that they loved me. I knew they loved me, but they never said that. And we have said in the church, and we articulate that over and over again, how important it is for us to verbally communicate our love for one another. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking of Lily. I mentioned it at her funeral as I had the service, that one of the things that Lily would do as I called and checked in on her a few times, she would say, I love you, Pastor. And I would say, you know what, Lily, I love you too. See, it's important for us to say that. It's important for you to stop in your busyness of a day and articulate to people in your home and in your family, to your spouses, I love you. But there's something more, my friends, and why I'm bringing this up. Talk is cheap. Right? It's easy for us to go around and say in the church, well, I love my church family. But have you demonstrated your love for one another? How important it is for us not just to offer lip service, but to actually follow our Lord's example and demonstrate who we are to the world outside by the love that we share one for the other. Because the gospel has come in and it has changed us and it has transformed us. We have been transformed by the cross of Christ. And we live then in a transformational community that this community of faith is to look different than any other organization in Westbrook. There should be something unique here that people are longing to be a part of it. And Jesus knows that's the way that his kingdom is going to be advanced. When he says this new command I give to you, love one another. This is a call to action. This is not just a word to express our care for one another verbally, but this is a call to action. And it means actually, the command here, the call, is actually meaning the law. And so Jesus is saying, here I'm showing you, you guys are so concerned about getting it all right and the law of Moses, but I'm showing you now the fulfillment of the law that God gave the law even back then to care for you, to show you his love. And now I am going to demonstrate God's love for you. And now I'm commanding you and calling you 
to move forth in this new law of love. We've often said, haven't we, agape. It's not sentimentalism. It's this self-emptying, sacrificial love. I say that repeatedly this morning. It is that self-emptying, sacrificial love where I put the needs of others above my own. I like what Romans 5, 8 says, that God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were not lovely, <laughs> when we didn't deserve it, God demonstrated his love for us. There's no greater demonstration of God's love than to look at the cross. When Christ died for us. And so my friends, this is not mushy sentimentalism. This is not what God is talking about here, what Jesus is talking about here. The word <clears throat> throughout Scripture when we're talking about God's love is agape. It is that self-sacrificing love. It's not about feelings. It's not about warm fuzzies. See, the problem is when we tend to think about love, we, get, we want this emotional response. But God is calling us to demonstrate his love. Period. You just do it. It's a selfless servitude. Jesus didn't save us because we were lovable. Or that he had warm, mushy feelings about us. He saved us because his love caused him to sacrifice himself for us. And here's a hard question. Do we love others enough to sacrifice for them? Even when they're not deserving? Even when they're not loving? Even when we don't like them? Notice he didn't say, feel like loving one another. <laughs> he said, love one another. It is a command. It's an action. It's not a feeling. It is a choice. See that? that there's that. that it, is a, it, it is a volition. It is a choice of the will. I am going to love you. It's not about my feelings. It's not about sentimentalism. I am going to love you. It is a choice that we make in order to love one another. Why is love so important? I, I think we, we talk a lot about the fall, we talk a lot about sin and all those things and the important that we do. But there's something that happens when we have Christ as our Savior and He has forgiven us of our sins and we are now brought back into right relationship with the Father and if we go back to creation we realize that we were made in the image of God and and because of the fall, Adam and Eve had scarred that image. And so we go around with the scarred image of humanity. Humanity is not living to its full potential. Humanity is not demonstrating the God who created us. <clears throat> Instead, we're, we're often demonstrating more of the enemy. Often, and God helps us when the enemy gets into the church. And so we realize that, that there is this 
humanity that I find when I come to Christ and when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I've come to who I fully have been created to be. And I have been created in God's image. And God is love. And so part of my restoration is I begin to love like he loves. No longer loving according to the flesh, as Paul would say. But I'm now loving as he loves. And you know, there's something else we can think about today, why love is so important. Matthew 24, 12 says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Isn't that true of our day? Oh, love for self hasn't grown cold. But love for fellow man. <coughs> My friends, when love is no longer found, when the lack of love is rampant, it's in those moments when the community of faith that loves one another shines the brightest. This is why Jesus knows this is so important for his disciples. That they need to understand that they love one another and it is that love for one another, that community of faith, that just love on each other, that begins to shine bright. Think about it. When the early church was birthed, it was in the midst of persecution and, and, and Rome had power over them and yet the church grew. In the third world countries today where persecution is rampant, the church is growing. Why? Because they have love one for another. How, how do we do this love for one another? Well, if you want to love agape love, then you need to go to the source of agape love, and that is God. Remember last week? We spoke about this intimacy, that Christ is in me, and now I am moving into Christ, and, and there's this relationship, and as I abide in the vine, then I produce the fruit, and we're told that one of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Not sentimentalism. Agape. And so as I build this deeper relationship with God as a disciple, then there's this natural outflow that begins to happen. God is the source, and we begin to have this love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember last week we talked about Finland and called it pure love. John Wesley called it perfect love. I like what John Wesley said, God is the first object of our love. Its next office is to bear the defects of others. Did you get that? <laughs> to bear the defects of others. And we should begin to practice the practice of this amidst our own households. So he said, the first thing you do is you love God. And the next thing you do is you love your household and the household of God. That's where it starts. Apart from experiencing God's pure and perfect love, we're not capable to love like God. And that's often what's happened. Part of the difficulty of loving others is that often we try to whip it up. We try to do it on our own. We'll try to say to somebody, you know I love you. Or, you know, have you ever been around groups that use flattery? False flattery makes you cringe because you know it's false, you know it's fake. 
And so this is that play acting that Jesus was saying of the Pharisees, that if we're not careful, if we're trying to love on our own strength and our own motives, it becomes hypocrisy, my friends, and people can smell that a mile away. We cannot truly understand loving others apart from loving God and going to the source. As long as we try to love on our own, we're going to fail. And so we surrender our lives. And if you can say even to the Lord, Lord, I haven't been loving in the way that I should. I haven't demonstrated love for my brothers and sisters in Christ like I should. Share that with them. Pray about it. Give it to him. And ask the source of love to fill you afresh and anew with his love and opportunities. And to make the choice to love others. You see, we said about Jesus' demonstration Jesus, who was fully God, it says that he knew who he was and he knew where he was going. And I find that's a big part of this too, that we need to feel good who we are in Christ. And let God speak to us, warts and all, who we are, what our struggles are, what our, uh, our benefits are, what, what we do well, what we don't do well. And, and we need to give that to the Lord. But we've got to be willing to disrobe ourselves. We've got to be willing to get down low and in humility. If we're going to serve one another. As we see Jesus demonstrates, if we're looking at this example, he demonstrates there's no greater sign of humility than this. And being willing to be nailed to a cross for us. You know what's amazing is that Jesus comes through the crowd and we didn't have time today to get into the other verses. But you know, there's, there's obstinate Peter. Not my feet, Lord. Have you ever met people in the church like that? If we're not careful, we can be obstinate, prideful people. That when people want to minister to us, when people want to do things for us, not me. No, no, I'm fine. I got it all together. My life is falling apart. No, 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 I got it all together. Jesus says, Oh, Peter. This is a very humbling experience. You're the one who thinks that you're never going to deny me, but before the night is over, you will deny me three times. You think you've got it all together, Peter? No, you don't. And in my love, unless I wash you, unless you come to this brokenness and humility and receive, then you will never be able to give. And so he washes Peter's feet. And he cleansed them. Imagine that, that. That night, he's going to disown them three times. And Jesus even knows it. And yet he still washes his feet. I want to encourage you today. Have you ever let down the Lord? Have you ever made a commitment and never followed through? Jesus washes your feet. Even though he knows that, he continues to wash our feet. That is the love of God. That even when we disappoint, God washes our feet. The amazing thing in the story is that he knows who's even going to go out and betray him. And he says to him, you go do what you need to do. Because he knows what's going on. But before he even says that, he doesn't wait till he's gone and then wash the eleven. He washes the betrayer's feet. That self-emptying, sacrificing love. That's what we're called to. In the body of Christ. 
people who have disappointed, people who have even betrayed us, people who have let us down, we are called to continue to wash their feet. This morning, I was reading the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew, and Jesus reminded them that it's not just about loving those who love you, and then he went on to say, love your enemies and pray for them. That's what makes this love, my friends, unique. I like what somebody says. A common phrase to refer to those people that we consistently find ourselves challenged to love is extra grace required people. You have any of those in your life? Extra grace required people. People who we find it difficult to love, but he can love through us. See, my friends, against, uh, apart from God and his power and his love, we're selfish. And the ones we're trying to love are selfish. We don't always seek the best for others. We seek the best for us and my family and my needs and my wishes, as we said last week. And so it's not easy to love one another when I'm dealing with my own tendencies and my own selfishness. And then I'm also dealing with your tendencies and your selfishness. And it's not easy. That's why I said to you, it cannot be about emotions. It has to be a choice. It is intentionally, I'm going to love you no matter what, right to the end. Because that's what I'm called to do. And God's going to help me to do it. And I'm going to make that choice today. That's what it's about. Thick and thin, up times and down times, we're going to love one another. And it's by that way that we're going to be such a community of faith and love. Those around us are going to know, wow, there's something different there. There's something different in that place. And that's how people are going to know that at the corner of Elmsdale, this church, those people are his disciples. Because my, how they love one another. And so, I've already answered this, but who are we to love? One another. You know, it's interesting that we think it's so important for us to demonstrate God's love out there. And it is. Don't get me wrong. People are needing to see God's love. They're needing to see it with feet, hands on. Because as I said, talk was cheap. But we have no right to go out there and tell them about his love if it's not in. Because what are we welcoming him into? And I'm going to be honest with you today that I've seen a lot of unloving things in the Church of Jesus Christ over my 30 plus years of ministry. I, I have seen things that would make my skin crawl in the name of Jesus. Uh, I've had to spend time on my knees praying for situations that I've been in shock over. I have been challenged myself when people who have betrayed me or said all kinds of vile things about me as a pastor, I have had to pray through and ask for God's love and splash love on me, the love of Jesus. I could tell you stories today, but I won't. But I know this is not something easy that we're preaching about today, but it is something essential. There's no getting around this. If the world is ever going to know that we are his disciples and listen to the message that we want to bring to them, they need to know that in this community of faith, 
that we love one another. And it's not just lip service, but we demonstrate it. We look for ways to show each other how we love each other. As I bring this to a close, I remember our little church plant we had many years ago. And it was one of the greatest demonstrations of love that I could see a switch that happened. You know, we, we would be there after, we always had coffee time after church, and as we had coffee time after church and people were fellowshipping, it, we had moved from our little apartment in the church plant, now we had moved to a, a, a hall in the nearby hotel. And as we moved into our coffee time, I would watch our friends who were Swiss German. They would all gather because they were so excited to see each other. They hadn't seen each other all week or seen each other maybe, you know, for three days. And they were so excited to see each other. And I, you could hear them just going on, right? And, and they were having great fellowship. It was wonderful. Unfortunately, we were the ones from away. And we stood back as pastors and we thought, man, you know, like here's new people. And we tried, to, we, we tried to love on the new people, you know, and tried to welcome them. One Sunday night, we just prayed about it. One Sunday night, I seen something happen, and I thought, okay, Lord, here's the turning point. Elizabeth, I've shared about Elizabeth over the years. Elizabeth was talking to her friends, and they were so excited about their faith. Like, it was exciting to be around these guys. They were young, and they were excited about their faith. Nothing like that, being around that young crowd when they're excited about their faith. And I seen her look over her shoulder. And as she looked over her shoulder, she seen this new person standing there. Now, they all spoke English because our service was in English. And I saw her leave the group and go over to speak to this person. And I remember standing back going, wow. And I remember her befriending this person quite a bit. And towards the end of our coffee fellowship time, Elizabeth now brought the new person into her group of friends. And I thought, okay, Lord, now something's starting here. And I want to say to you that there was a transformation that happened in that little church plant, but I couldn't make it happen. Uh, I prayed about it, but there was something that happened in the people that they began to really love on one another. They didn't just love their friends. Jesus said that too in Matthew. If you love your friends, how are you any different than the, the world? They all do that. Even the tax collectors do, do that, he says in Matthew. If you love those who love you. But it is that willingness to love that stranger, to love that person, to love on one another. And I realize how important it is for us to demonstrate that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. You know what's sad here in this story? It shows you the problem of pride in most disciples' hearts. Every one of them, as we spoke earlier, walked into that room, saw, <laughs> saw that basin, saw the water jug, saw the towel. Have you ever heard this in the church? That's not my job. Let someone else do it. And each one of them walked by and missed out on an opportunity to demonstrate God's love. Pride, my friends, will get in such a way and keep us back from what God has for us as a church. Do you know what's even the saddest point of this story? This is where pride, to me, breaks my heart. My own pride breaks my heart. No one offered to wash 
and all that God has for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we said this even last week. You loved us enough to send the Son. You sacrificed and sent the Son. Yes. Jesus, you loved us enough that you would, if you were in this room today, you would bow at each one of our feet and wash them. That's the kind of God we serve. That self-emptying, sacrificial love. And Lord, you and the Father loved us enough that you sent the Holy Spirit who is present. And we sense your presence here today. And we sense that your presence is still here today, challenging us and convicting us that it's not sentimentalism that you need in your church. What you're needing is for us a, a, a choice of the will, a choice of the volition that I am going to love one another by the help of God, with the source of God, with the empowerment of God. Even when I don't like what somebody said about me or did, or, or even when I, I'm going around with the excuse that I'm too busy and don't have time. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will prick our hearts with this word, that you want us to intentionally show and demonstrate the love that we have for one another. Then from there we can go out and love this world. But it starts right here in God's house. And so God, I've said enough. Help us now, Holy Spirit, we pray. Pastor Mike has that term that he uses, the response after the response. We can respond here today in this sanctuary, but what's going to matter is what we do this week in the weeks to come. And so God, what I pray today is there will be a response after the response for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.